Well, good morning, friends. As Pastor Jason said, my name is Jennifer Potter Buff. I am a United Methodist pastor, but I serve as a hospital chaplain now. Um, don't worry, I was here three weeks ago. I made you do all the chaplain things, being your feelings. I'm not going to make you do that today. Take a deep sigh of relief. Uh, but I'm glad to be with you all again, even though it's so soon. I heard somebody asking earlier about Jenny and the boys. They are not sick, um, and Jason is feeling much better. Um, so, just so that you know that. So you all are in the midst of this series examining stuff Christians say, right? The, these like truths or half truths or these just cliches that sometimes we hear in the church. And so today we're turning to this uh, phrase, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. So when I was pastoring a congregation, we did a, a, ser a similar sermon series. And I can remember that um, back then I cared a lot about uh, my congregation believing the truth, right? Just for the sake of the truth. And as I was thinking about this series and about this sermon, I started thinking about the countless number of hospital beds I've sat next to as people have been sick or dying. And I've seen the ways in which... Uh, the simple cliches of the Christian life can just fall apart at the seams when you feel like you're at uh, death's door or when you feel like you are sicker than you've ever been and there is no hope left. And so as we get ready to, to talk about scripture today, I just I hope that you'll hear that the story of God is wide and encompassing and that it's messy and beautiful and awful and amazing. And it defies easy words. And I hope that you'll hear an invitation to explore what you believe, not just for the sake of, of knowing the right things, but because when we know who God is, I think we're more aware of how God shows up both in the, the highs of life when, when things are beautiful and wonderful and we want to celebrate and in the lows of life when nothing else seems to be able to break through. So we're going to turn from, we're going to turn to words from second Timothy. Hear these words from scripture, but you must continue with the things that you have learned and found convincing. You know, who taught you? Since childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures that help you to be wise in a way that leads to salvation. Salvation through faith that is in Christ Jesus. Every scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting and for training character. So that the person who belongs to God can be equipped to do everything that is good. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. But most of all, God, take our hearts and set them on fire. Amen. So I want to tell you about one of my favorite authors whose name is AJ Jacobs. He's made a habit out of living his life as an experiment, all for the sake of a good book and some great laughs. I have a few uh, pictures of some of his uh, book covers. In 2004, he set out uh, to read the entire Encyclopedia Britannica. If you're not familiar with the EB, it is a general knowledge encyclopedia covering an incredible amount of topics 
It has 30 volumes spanning more than 30,000 pages. I'm a big reader, but never in my life have I wanted to read 30,000 pages of an encyclopedia. But not to fear, AJ did it for us. Ultimately, he chronicles this quest in a book called Know-It-All, One Man's Quest to Become the Smartest Person in the World. It's a funny book, and I recommend it. He shares about struggling to continue reading. He talks about all kinds of interesting factoids, and he begins to under, under, uncover something about the difference between knowledge and wisdom. In 2012, he published another book called Drop Dead Healthy, One Man's Humble Quest for Bodily Perfection. In this episode of Experiments, he spends each month of a two-year period working on a particular diet or an exercise craze. He visits countless doctors and specialists. He built a walking desk before they were cool. He purchased juicers and health food, and he generally drove his wife crazy. But my favorite of his books uh, was published in 2007, and it's called A Year of Living Biblically. Jacobs describes himself as a secular Jew, but he, he decides that perhaps he needs to know more about this identity that he partially claims. And to do so, he takes on the task of experimenting with a religious life. To do this, he sets out to follow everything in the Bible, literally. He finds a tester that ensures his clothes don't mix wool and linen, per the instructions of Deuteronomy 22. He removes the names of all false gods from his vocabulary, which means he can no longer say the words Wednesday and Thursday because they honor pagan gods, Thor and Woden, something that Exodus 23 explicitly forbids. Over the course of the year, he allows his beard and the sides of his hair to grow uncut in accordance with Leviticus 19. The book is funny, filled with wonderful stories and revelations. But it's an experiment based on literalism. Now, perhaps A.J. Jacobs experienced something a bit more like the Bible says it. I will follow it. That settles it. But he is after the same quest as those who state the Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. This saying, this phrase is actually derived from our second Timothy passage. Verse 16 of what we read this morning says, every scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting, and for training character. But we often isolate it from the surrounding verses. And it can be used to prove emphatically that scripture is meant to be taken, meant to be taken literally and definitively. I think that there's an honest allure for hearing the Bible as the black and white clear cut rule book for life. There's something in each of us that, that just wants to know the limits of what we can and can't do. There's something in each of us that just wants an easy yes or no answer. I think there's something in, in most, if not all of us that just wants to be able to clearly and easily articulate and defend our faith. I think it's honest, but I also think it cheats us of the richness of scripture. Who cares if Jonah was literally swallowed by a whale? 
But I think most of us care deeply that there is nowhere on the face of the earth that we can run away where God cannot find us. When we hear second Timothy, we often fail to hear the verses that immediately surround this verse 16. But as we heard them today, what we hear is a mentor writing to a young pastor, reminding this young pastor named Timothy of his long held knowledge of scripture, reminding Timothy of his loving teachers. In fact, in another place in the, in the letter, Timothy is reminded, you didn't come to this faith alone. You learned it from your mother and your grandmother. You don't continue in it alone. Timothy is reminded of a loving God who is always leading Timothy in a particular direction. The direction of salvation, the direction of life with and for God. You see, it's not that these words of scripture are, are given to Timothy as a weapon or as a defense. Rather, these words of scripture are given to Timothy to remind him that he belongs to God. And that through his knowledge of the story of God, he might go on to do the good things of God's kingdom. The emphasis here is for Timothy and, and by extension, us modern eavesdroppers. It's an invitation for us to be focused on compassion and depth and love and the way of salvation. Whoever wrote this letter to young Timothy, although young is a, you know, comparative here, he was younger than me, but not so young as to be able to, to lead people who are hungering for Jesus. Whoever wrote these words to Timothy counted the, the Hebrew Bible as among the divine scriptures. Perhaps this mentor of Timothy's even knew about the letters of Paul and maybe even the gospels. Second Timothy was likely among the last of the letters that make up our new Testament to be written. But the question of what was going to be included in the Bible as we know it today was still at least a hundred years away from being settled. So when we read these words of second Timothy, we might remember that the writer is not describing his own words as divinely ordained to be scripture. We might also pause to consider the phrase inspired by God. What we read in second Timothy this morning, the, the, the Greek text literally says God breathed. It's this reminder for Timothy about the nature of scripture. Although this verse sometimes gets used to suggest that Timothy and by extension, we ought to take every word of scripture literally with or without its surrounding context. It doesn't seem to be the way that the author understands the notion of God breathed. To say that the words of the Bible are God breathed suggests that in fact, there is some imprint of God's presence in the substance of scripture. There is divine inspiration. But the author stops short of saying that the inspiration means that every word of the text is, is literally dictated by God. We can read the words and story of scripture and see God on the move. 
see God inspiring and leading, maybe even dragging God's own people towards the way of salvation. But God leads and sometimes drags as a loving parent. Just like we sometimes lead and drag our own children. At some point, they have to come to it themselves. But understanding scripture this way doesn't, doesn't mean that scripture is any less important, any less revealing, any less true. The Bible was compiled over thousands of years with many human writers doing their best to put into mere human words their amazing, incomprehensible, indescribable experiences of the divine. When we come to scripture, we allow the, the whole arc of thousands of years to help us to interpret, to interpret the places in the Bible that are confusing. Why do we have two creation stories to remind us and to help us interpret the places in the Bible that convict us to love our neighbor, to go down to St. Pete and to cook and serve a meal. We allow this whole arc to help us understand and interpret the places in the Bible that remind us of the incredible grace and love of God offered in Christ Jesus. Towards the end of his experimental year living biblically, A.J. Jacobs describes this practice of learning to read the Bible in community. When he began his year, he read it alone and he comes to understand that he can't understand it himself. He begins to meet with other people to read the Bible together. And in so doing, he comes to understand new ways of thinking about himself, about others, and about the possibility of the presence of God. He writes these words. Studying the Bible is not like studying sumo wrestling in Japan. It's more like wrestling itself. This opponent of mine is sometimes beautiful, sometimes cruel, sometimes ancient, sometimes crazily relevant. I can't get a handle on it. I'm outmatched. I love that image. We friends are outmatched by the Bible. We can't put it in a box and say the Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. Instead, the Bible invites us into this wrestling match of, of reverence, this wrestling match of patience, this wrestling match of faith, this wrestling match of community. But the Bible is not ultimately a weapon that we use to, to brandish others with. It's not a sword to say to another, I have it all figured out. And if you don't get on board with my understanding, then something is deficient in you. Instead, scripture invites us in. There's an intimacy in wrestling, right? You have to get up close with your opponent to understand the ways and movements. And the Bible does that for us. The Bible says, come and see, come and explore this story of the family of God. 
Scripture invites us and maybe even demands us to come with humility and honesty. Scripture invites us to come and gather around a table or in chairs stretched across rooms or even via Zoom to come and approach the text with questions and with determination to wrestle with the messy bits, to come with open hearts and open minds. Gathering together to explore the words of scripture remind us that we belong to a larger story. We belong to the church's story and to the story of the people of God. And it's that very story that we find within the words of scripture. We don't have to simply pick and choose verses of the Bible to proof text arguments or to be an exact black and white rule book for our lives. Rather, we find find from the very first words of Genesis to the final words of Revelation. The story, a story of a God who desperately loves God's own creation. The story of a God who has chosen to enter into relationship with humanity. The story of a God who loves us enough to come and be among us through leaders and prophets, through Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit and through the witness and love of the church. As we come to the words of scripture, we find that, that it all hangs together. We read the whole story of this God. We read today a few verses from second Timothy, but we read it having heard the larger story. As moderns, we read these verses knowing that the original author didn't yet know something called the New Testament. But we know that the original author of the letter and Timothy himself and the people who Timothy was leading had in fact been touched by the story of God and by God's dealings with humanity. These people had been deeply formed by the tellings of the son of God. This man named Jesus. And they had begun to be shaped by the faith of that following. It's here in the community of the church. Timothy's church, our church, first on Eden. It's here in the the larger church, right? The, The church we call the United Methodist Church, the global church, the historical church. It's here in the in the church that we read the Bible. We do not read it alone. Because it is far from simple. It is confusing. It is amazing. It is beautiful. It is challenging. At times, its writers seem to be shaped by their own culture or time or limited in their knowledge. But none of it means that we throw out the Bible. Instead, it means that we recognize its complexity and we approach it together. It is no less reverent to wrestle with scripture and with our understanding of who and what God is. 
than it is to declare the Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. As we wrestle with this book, with the help of the church and her scholars and leaders, we live well within our own Wesleyan heritage. In the United Methodist Church, we talk about a fourfold way of following God. It's first through the words and witness of scripture, but those words are interpreted by tradition, interpreted by our own reason and intellect gifts from God and interpreted through the experience of God's grace showing up in our lives over and over and over again. It is possible to simultaneously love the Bible and to wrestle with it. It is true to say we are outmatched by it, that we need one another to make sense of it. It is true to say the Bible has a lot to say. And I am learning to understand and believe. And perhaps it is most true to turn to the church and say, will you help me to follow Jesus? Of course, that declaration is not quite as pithy as the common saying. It probably won't ever become a cliche, but it is true. I wonder if we might spend 2022 in our own year of living biblically, of sorting through the true and the false and the many shades of gray, a year of intentionally allowing the breath of God, the same breath that blew over the waters in Genesis that breathed across thousands of years of biblical writers that breathed over the disciples heads at Pentecost, that same breath to breathe into our souls today and every day that we might come to better know the story of God and God's love for us. Let's pray. God, you who breathed over the waters, you who breathed life into dust, you who breathe inspiration among us still today. We pray, God, that you would give us the courage, the faithfulness, the determination to wrestle with scripture, to wrestle with what it is we believe and who it is we follow. May you build up this church that it would be a place of soft landing when we encounter the difficult questions, that it would be a place of love and mercy, a place of justice, a place of humility. Give us courage, God, as we go out into the world, seeking to live biblically, seeking to live truthfully and authentic, authentically. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen.